Uh, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Bible and Banter. With today, you have your hosts, the great, the insightful, the wonderful, wonderfully gifted, beautifully bearded, always insightful, Michael J. Alex. What's up, Mike? Hey, good to be here with you, bearded wonder. Uh, that's actually what, what one of my one of the guys in my uh, church calls me the bearded wonder. Yeah, well, it's fitting. Uh, we can only, you know, in all things, Eric, we can only hope to measure up in marginal ways to you. So well, I, last night uh, I had a hockey game. We lost four one, and someone blew past me. I, I was playing D, and I, I was caught flat footed. And then, so someone blows past me. I think that they might have ended up scoring. I forget. And I go to the bench to to go change. And one of the guys coming off the bench and goes, you might have to trim your beard so that you can move faster. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> That's an overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It, dude, it was funny. Last night I got hooked. Someone came up and, and they, they uh, hooked my hands and pulled me down. Mm-hmm. And they got a penalty for it. And I don't know if I just look intimidating on the ice. I'm not that good. But this guy for about four times in the middle of the game, whenever he came by me, he's like, Hey man, I'm really sorry for earlier. <laughs> I'm like, cool, man. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> you probably thinks you're probably hiding a shiv in your beard. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, like I did get up and was like, what the heck, man? And but I mean that was it. And then yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Or maybe he's just a very apologetic guy. Like, he might maybe be. he just feel be feels bad about stuff i'll say this he was definitely better than i am <laughs> so he, he was good but um, or maybe he was just worried that he destroyed your your you destroyed you and didn't want you to give up the game entirely because of how bad he owned <laughs> you what, he was trying to encourage me <laughs> he was trying to be a bucket filler instead of a bucket kicker that's right <laughs> yeah 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 so what's new uh with mike you were just telling me how you how the great country of maine has yeah. been uh, attacked by Chinese uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chinese sent caterpillars, like they've been genetically modified. Right. Um, the the intro to that of being Chinese or or genetically modified is not uh, necessarily true. So please don't don't sue us. Don't claim us as uh, anything. But yeah. So these. That's brown- what you were telling me before we came on air sarcasm eric okay. sarcasm but uh no so there are these brown tail caterpillars uh that turn into these beautiful white moths but they were pretty bad last year around the coast but they've begin to pop up a lot more in this area and actually my city of waterville has declared a public nuisance emergency and are trying to deal with it and basically the hairs of the caterpillar cause a very itchy rash which i have on both arms uh, you that can looks actually, brutal. Yeah, you can see it right here on one part of my arm. Uh, and then even worse, sometimes if they're inhaled, they can cause really severe um, respiratory issues. How do you inhale a, a caterpillar? Well, the, just the hair. The hair can kind they the, oh. the hair can kind of get released from the caterpillar. Uh-huh. So like uh-huh. they'll say they're saying like don't dry your clothes outside because. You know, the hairs could attach to your linens and clothes and stuff, and then you put them on and you'll get the rash. Um, so, 
Yeah, so that that's a bit of a rough, nuisance. It's yeah, a nuisance. that's rough. Yeah. Being attacked by just air, essentially. Yeah, because we have not been observably near any caterpillars. And all of us, include, I'm pretty sure Erica as well, Asher doesn't seem to be bothered by it much, but me and the, bo- the two older boys have it pretty bad. Man. That so, and, and I'm on a soft food diet, which makes me even more miserable. Oh, yeah. We were talking about how uh, how you and I are so unhealthy last week and that you said you had a mm-hmm. a uh, colonoscopy. So how'd that go last week? It, other end, buddy. Endoscopy. Oh, oh, oh same endoscopy. Thing. Yeah. Same thing, just different end. <laughs> they, they, they use the colonoscopy tube from the guy before me to do my endoscopy. But mm-hmm. uh, no. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you really just say that i did uh, but anyway um it actually went well i don't remember any of it um just uh yeah basically what i have to say to everybody is fentanyl is no joke um i can understand why people who are hooked on fentanyl don't know like seem like they know what's going on but they really don't uh mm-hmm. Because it was it was a it was surreal. I don't remember anything, but my wife tells me in the recovery room that I was she she refers to me as Ned Flandersy, uh, but uh, yeah. So, but anyway, it went well. I have some further stuff that needs to be done. I'm on a soft food diet until and Nexium until they can stretch my lower esophagus because that was irritated, so they couldn't do it right then. And uh, they sent in some biopsies or whatever to test for any food sensitivities. And eventually I'm going to have to go in and get laparoscopic surgery to repair hernia uh, between the esophagus and stomach area. So so does a soft food diet include like milkshakes? Can you have milkshakes? Oh, yes. I can do milkshakes. Oh, but here, here's yeah. what I'm, I'm – I'm like Mr. Negative, and so I'm assuming that I'm going to come back with some sort of – Every food that I love, I will probably have some sort of sensitivity to. So I'm anticipating that like dairy is going to be off the thing. And so right now where I'm like eating lots of like yogurt and cottage cheese and different soft things, and I'm not going to be able to do that in the future, I bet. That's not for sure, but I'm assuming worst case scenario is I'm going to lose all the foods that I love. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully, Hopefully you won't lose any of those things. I know. I know, but the reality is most of the things I love probably aren't that healthy for me anyway, but ah, true I'm taking, I'm taking opportunity to, to be just as curmudgeon as I usually am, but with a reason. Yeah. You're, you're always just a little ray of sunshine, aren't you? Yeah. But anyway, Nathaniel throwing down the, throwing down the science for you, buddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so today, today we're going to talk about some some interesting stuff. We're going to talk about uh, we're talking about this morning, essentially this article that was posted. David French, who's a really good commentator, um, uh, Christian Presbyterian, uh, he he shared this on on the Twitter sphere, and uh, it was really good. It's from a website that I've I've seen some articles from them. Mere Christianity, it's pretty good. Obviously named after. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Um, so I'm assuming that that website's kind of broadly evangelical, very ecumenical in their approach to mm-hmm. um, anyway. Uh, great article talking about the different uh, kind of I don't know what would you call them. I'm trying to pull the article up to see what he calls them, but essentially different categories within evangelicalism. Yeah, that's right. what he calls them. Six categories. Yeah. 
Yeah. So basically evangelicalism is this big umbrella and he's just talking about how that's how evangelicalism has fractured and he's kind of boiled them down into six, potentially seven. He couldn't really define a seventh because it's, it's evolving even as he speaks, but yeah, six Mm -hmm. categories. Yeah. And I thought uh, I, did you like the article? I did. I thought it was, it was interesting and, and, uh, informative, challenging. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's written by a PCA pastor who's part of the X 29 network. And and I I just, I thought it was really good. Mm -hmm. So we're going to kind of talk about those six categories and kind of where we're at as far as evangelicalism is concerned. Yeah. Bigford, I'll, I'll, uh, put it down real quick. The, the article, um, so we're going to talk about the six uh, categories and then also talk about how, how do we cooperate knowing like, Hey, here is kind of a wide swath. Um, it, just the, so broad, you know, mm. different categories of what people believe within evangelicalism um, to the point where it makes it uh, very difficult, if not impossible for some folks to work together because their beliefs are so different. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, uh, I, I've been engaging with folks uh, for for a few years about the importance of us having defined beliefs within our, our churches and within our denomination so that we can cooperate more fully in, in mm-hmm. a better way. Uh, right. N- never, never is my intent to just say, hey, let's just give everybody the boot. It's always <laughs> like, hey, this is this serves a function. It serves a purpose that we can mm-hmm. work more closely together for missions, which is right simply making disciples. So um, he references Bevington. Uh, I've read mm. one book by David Bevington. Have you read any of his work? Zero zilch nada. Wow. I'm very disappointed in you. I'm surprised it wasn't like required reading in, in at Gordon Conwell. Nope. No, no. Um, so Bevington's a great uh, historical ecclesiastical theologian, more of a church historian than a theologian, I think. But um he he's he's right up there with Mark Knoll as far as being top notch or or really revered and respected church historians. Um, mm-hmm. And and he talks about some of the main theses of his books is is defining evangelicalism, and he defines evangelicalism. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, there are four marks of evangelicalism: biblicism, crucicentrism, conversionism, and activism. So biblicism is a particular regard for the Bible. Uh, all essential spiritual truth is to be found in the Bible. So there's a high view of scripture. Scripture, uh, usually evangelicals are inerrantists, um, are, are those who, who believe the Bible is infallible. That's our, our only rule or, or of, of true rule of faith and practice. Um, he also he also lists crucicentrism, which is a focus on the atonement or the atoning work of Christ. So the cross of Christ is central within evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Then conversionism, which is the belief, or or you could say this being born again, um, the belief that human beings need to be converted. And and again, that's that's pretty broad, right? Like that that includes. Uh, monergists and synergists and and everything in between and then activism the belief that the gospel needs to be expressed in effort so so there's a sense of we have to go out and share the good news of christ so so scripture we have a high view of scripture within evangelicalism although i do believe some within uh the advent christian church 
don't believe that we're evangelical. I, I, I read that a couple <laughs> of years ago. Um, crucicentrism, Christ is at the center of, of all that we are, his work, his atoning work. One has to be born again. Um, and then also the importance of going out and sharing the gospel. And that also includes mercy ministries and stuff like that, missions work. And, and all. it's pretty broad. It's fairly mm-hmm. broad. Um, so with that said, Mike, do you want to go over the six categories that this author lays out as far as the categories of, of evangelicalism, evangelicalism as it stands right now? Sure. Uh, and, and just to kind of give a, a wider picture, these six, he, he even breaks them down into two different groups as well. The first one through three still have connectivity to the church. They're still involved in a local church and really want to be part of a local church. Mm-hmm. And four, five, and six um, have really begun, if not totally distanced themselves from, yeah. from the church. It's also interesting. So you and I took there's a, at the end. There's a quiz. There's like a ten question question quiz. It takes you two minutes to do, and it helps you see where you're at based on certain questions. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was helpful. I usually yeah. hate things like that. So we're gonna share. I, I'm cool with sharing where I fall on the spectrum. Are you cool with sharing that? Sure. Yeah. And it wasn't like one of those Facebook quizzes, like which character from the office and it always ends up on like Dwight Schrute or Michael Scott or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It, this was accurate. I think they, they actually did a really great job with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. As well. uh, I'm interested. I hope Luke takes the quiz because he already self-identified in one of these and we'll share which one that is, but let's right. not, let's not, let's not let the cat out of the bag until we go through all six categories. Right. Yeah. So the first one, and uh, he calls the neo-fundamentalist evangelical. So neo-fundamentalist evangelical. Uh, do you want me to read the description? Yeah, yeah, if you want to. Okay. So basically, neo-fundamentalists are those who have deep concerns about both political and theological, theological liberalism. Uh, there is somewhat of an overlap and co-belligerency with Christian nationalism, which is a syncretism of right-wing nationalism and Christianity. But neo-fundamentalists do so with more theological vocabulary and rationality. Concerning threats within the church, they have deep worries with the church drifts towards liberalism and the ways secular ideologies uh, ideologies are finding finding homes in the church. So outside the church, they are concerned by the culture's increasing hostility to Christianity, most prominently from mass media, social media, and the government. I'll take the next one if you want. We can just alternate. Sure. Do we um, want to like? Do we want to try to boil that stuff down before we move on to? Yeah. Sure. Each so one? so so Christian so neo fundamentalist evangelical. I think that boils down to there's a conflation of church and state in the sense of as the state goes, so does the church. There's a dependence uh, on the state from the church. Um, it's more of a culture war mentality, whereas our main goal is to is to redeem the culture instead of um, instead of preaching Christ in changing hearts. So, so the focus isn't so much on God changing hearts as much as God or, or, or people um, being told what God says and then them going, oh, OK, even even if they don't believe in God. So it's almost like the works are more important or the, or the cultural ethic is more important than, than the heart, than whether or not someone's in Christ. Right. We want them. Yeah. We we want everybody to agree with Christianity, whether they accept Jesus or not. 
right. and the ethic of Christianity, especially the ethic right. and morality of Christianity, whether they profess Christ or not. Right. Okay. So the mainstream evangelical historically, this term has been Protestants who hold to the Bebington quadrilateral of conversionism, activism, biblicism, and crucicentrism. The emphasis for this group is on the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Concerning threats within the church, they share some concern with the secular rights influence on Christianity, including the destructive pull of Christian nationalism, but are far more concerned by the secular left's influence and the desire to assimilate, since the world still remains so hostile. Outside the church, they are likely uncomfortable with the rhetoric Trump and other conservatives use, but view this direction as the lesser of two evils. Right. So this is your, your typical, you know, really, this is kind of almost like the base standard of what most people would view evangelicals should be in a way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, middle of the road, focused on the gospel, you know, outreach, you know, however that is done, the, you know, recognizing that conservatives, you know, secular, non-religion, non-Christian uh, um, conservatives have something in common with us, but they, they still don't believe the gospel. And so the, mm -hmm. our, our participation with them can only go so far. Mm -hmm. um, and there is still a concern about both liberal and conservative theology and uh, everything impacting the church too negatively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it seems in his definition, they're, they're, although they're concerned about left and right, they're most concerned about the left. They think the left poses a greater danger than the right does to the gospel. Mm -hmm. It seems. Okay. Right. Uh, you want to move on to number three? Well, I do want to, I, I over, I do want to address Nathaniel's critique. I'm reading into that uh, number one, that they, they not just want people to think the way they act, think they also want people to act the way they want them to act. And so that's why I look at behavior because I'm pretty sure um, that a neo-fundamentalist would not just want people to believe that abortion is bad, but to stop engaging in abortion. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I went a little bit further, but really all of them are more focused on what people believe in evangelicalism, not so much behavior. Uh, so, so yeah, I'll take number three. Okay. Uh, the the neo-evangelical, people who would see themselves as global evangelicals and are doctrinally evangelicals with some philosophy of ministry differences, but no longer use the term evangelical in some circumstances in the American context, as the term as an identifier has evolved to be more political than theological. Within the church, they are highly concerned by conservative Christianity's acceptance of Trump, and failure to engage on topics of race and sexuality in helpful ways, but they have no, not totally abandoned evangelical identification and likely still labor in churches with the broadest spectrum of these groups. Outside of the church, this group feels largely homeless in today's world. There is equal concern or slightly more either way, depending on the person, at the threat the left and the right pose to Christians seeking to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mike, I just want to uh, mention something to you. Uh, I don't know if it's my headphone, if it's my headphone or if it's on your mic, but you're kind of breaking up a little bit. 
Okay. Um, so, so the neo-evangelical, it, it would seem by their definition is, uh, someone who, um, is still within the mainstream of evangelicalism, it seems by their fundamental beliefs. Um, but they believe that there's an equal problem between the left and the right. They see that, that left and right politically, um, when it's brought within the church, can have, have a negative impact, and that's that's a big concern for those persons in in that place. But they also see that the main point or, or the main responsibility of the Christian is to um, proclaim the gospel, um, to proclaim life only in Christ, and 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 their main goal isn't to fight a culture war, but to um, fight uh, for the kingdom of God and and to see to see it expand. Mm-hmm. You think that's about right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, next post evangelical. That's number four post evangelical uh, people who have fully left evangelicalism from a self identification standpoint and reject the evangelical label yet are still churched and likely still agree with the apostles creed and Nicene creed. They are most or they are more deconstructed than neo-evangelicals, and they are more vocal in their critiques of ones and twos and threes would be. Uh, some remain firmly in Protestant circles, and others have crossed over to mainline, Catholic, or Orthodox traditions, while still holding to the basic creeds. Concerning threats within the church, they are focused on abuse, corruption, hypocrisy, Christian nationalism, and the secular right. Outside the church, they are primarily concerned with the matters of injustice, iniquity, the secular right, and to a lesser extent, the secular left. Many fours are fours also because their experience with predominantly white evangelicalism have had been so difficult and strained that physical distance seemed to be the only conclusion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so basically, these guys are tired. All right, your mic's not working. Oh, it's not working? Mic is still not working. Now you're muting yourself. Uh-oh. Now you're starting to get red. I wonder if you're getting the, the brown tail moth rash all over your face. Still can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Oh, never mind. I guess it's on me. Hello? Can you hear me? My bad, Mike. Uh, I'm trying to fix my end. You go ahead. You talk. All right. So I'm assuming everybody can hear me. This is another case of Eric blaming everybody but himself. <laughs> Uh, so this is true. <laughs> I'm but, sorry about that, Mike. You have my sincerest apologies. It's all good. <laughs> but basically, if we were to, if I were to summarize, post evangelical, they still connect. They still find uh, some affinity for Protestant churches, not always, and still are churched and still want to see the gospel go forward, but they're really especially annoyed with conservative evangelicalism, especially with how politics have gotten in uh, to conservative churches. 
Um, and so they're not so concerned about, you know, the more the radical secular left because they don't see that that having as in, a big of a negative impact on the church, at least currently, as much mm-hmm. as just kind of uh, accepting the radical Christian right, so to speak. And so, um, as I said, the, they'll be, whereas like the number three, the neo-evangelical has issues, but they're not necessarily going to lambaste people for it and critique it publicly. They're going to come out and publicly critique ones, twos, and threes mm-hmm. and, and make a stink about it. Yeah, I think I think one of the big differences between the, as I understand, the threes and the fours. And the most interesting thing, man, is I've been able to see these things, like especially on social media and how people talk about stuff. And it seems like a lot of people move from one end of the spectrum to another. And I see a lot of people who are in this fourth category. But my concern with like the fourth category is like, although like, okay, they believe, um, you know, they probably have some of this evangelical belief. But they, they don't feel at home within the evangelical circle. Therefore, they have to remove themselves um, in, in order to not feel as though, you know, I, I mean, I feel this way all the time. A man without a country, a man without a tribe, you know, where you're just you're in a circle and you realize, man, I'm a square peg in a round hole. Now, what do you do? Right. Mm. And so that's how I feel like a lot of. The people who are in the fours feel within evangelicalism. Um, however, where I think they make a huge mistake is that they are focused. That their main focus is on injustice, um, and 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 I think you and I share, and and Luke would Luke would agree. I think that uh, we need to speak up when injustice is being done. Absolutely, but we get there because we get to the gospel first. So the mm-hmm. gospel is first and foremost injustice. Uh, our ability to even know or speak into injustices comes from the gospel of Christ. So right. I, I think I think that's a big different uh, difference between the two. Right. So, for example, we we would define injustice and justice according to gospel lines, whereas ultra radical right would use conservative radical right conservative to define what's unjust or just, and the radical right would let that group decide where we're trying to come back to scripture and say, no, the scriptures tell us, right. Um, you know, no, and the, yeah. and the left and the political left does the same thing. Exactly. So, so, yeah, it's, no, so, no. so, um, yeah. All right. And so it, let's, and it's easy to get caught up and it's easy to get caught up in those areas. So this isn't like throwing grenades without yeah. realizing that the shrapnel could easily hit us as well. And we're just trying to define these things. We're not trying to critique them right now. Um, So I'll read five and six um, because they're really short. They're super short. Yeah. Yeah. So de-churched is number five. Um, De-churched in parentheses, he says, but with some Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I like that. I don't know. Does he mean like a little bit of Jesus or like some kind of Jesus? Uh, I don't know. But he says people who have left the church but still hold to at least some Orthodox Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then six, dechurched and deconverted people who have left the church and are completely deconverted with no vestigial Christian beliefs. I don't even know if that's how you say that word. It's close enough. Okay, I appreciate that. So, so that's where we're at. And he even uses like through this article, 
Um, he refers to things that have happened in the news as like a Rorschach test for like, man, how you respond to this can often indicate like where you land on this spectrum. So, so Mike, uh, you and I took the quiz. Luke self-identified. Do we want to share what, what Luke said he was? I don't know if we should, we should reveal someone else's identification. I, well, I would love to hear what other people think Luke would be. <laughs> well, why don't, why don't you say that before you give his identification? <laughs> okay. So I would love for you to tell me what you think Luke might be. Uh, actually, tell us what you think we All three of us. Yeah, that would be even better. Yeah, even that better. Be... Before before we reveal where we found. Where, yeah. and, and what we can say is, you know, when we do reveal, um, we can share not only what the test said, but whether or not we agree with it and why we think yeah. it's right or wrong. Yeah. Now, now, as people, uh, please give a comment. Tell us what you think, where we fall into that category. I, I, we're really excited. <laughs> Eric must be an eight. I don't even know. Like, I'm He's so right. far out there. I'm not even. You're, like, you're off the charts, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, <I've> never, <laughs> so, um, so I think this ties into well um, an article written by by Matt Larkin last week. Uh, did you read Larkin's article on Unitas Christiana? I did. And I gave, uh, yeah, I did. I thought it was a banger, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, I think these two articles actually go really well with one another, even if they talk about two different things. So, so Matt's article, and I'll post it below. Um, it's on Advent Christian Voices, and it's really good. I think it's a charitable art article. I think he, I think he's very winsome in his approach. Um, so, so, he talks about like the, he essentially points out like, Hey, we as a denomination or as an association of churches, uh, a cooperative body, whatever you want to call it. Um, Cause I know some people don't, you know, prefer some terms over others. Um, you know, he mentions, Hey, on, on the things that should unify people who are working together, he's kind of like, I'm not quite sure what we're unified by. That's Matt Larkin. Um, so, so he points to, uh, let me pull up his article real, really quick. Uh, but he points to like a lack of doctrinal unity. Um, he points to a lack of missional unity and relational unity, uh, which I think is really important because for a long time, and he, and he might even say this in the article, and he does, I'm looking at it now, that relational unity is really where we found our greatest unity as a denomination. And it stems from the two big schools, Aurora, Aurora college, and then um, Berkshire Christian college. And that since they either ceased campus operations and you're actually sit on the board for Berkshire now, um, or Aurora college is no longer an Advent Christian entity. Um, but since then we don't have like a, a, a place where Advent Christians go to go to college to get some kind of education or pastoral training or, or whatnot. So that relational unity um, at least for those who are post Berkshire, it, it's kind of self-made, right? It's kind of like happenstance. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's very difficult to find that relational unity. Um, he says missional unity too. Um, so, <laughs> uh, he, he, he points out that, you know, we don't have like a, a cohesive, Hey, this is what we're going to go do. Um, everyone's kind of scattered and not really willing to be on the same page as far as, you know, what do we call it? And there are some, some things that, you know, obviously we do better at than others, but there's a lack of real missional unity, or at least how we see it 
play out in other places. And then doctrinal unity. I mean, you know, I don't want to beat this one to death because it's something I talk about a lot. But the reason I talk about it a lot is because I don't think that you can have the doctrinal. I don't think you have initial unity without doctrinal unity. So I think I think one breeds the breeds into the other. And I think that's what you see in these six categories of evangelicalism, you know, because each one's mission um, is dictated by its core beliefs. And if the core beliefs are different, then their, their mission is going to be different. So we have these fractures that are happening um, within denominations. The, the best example of it right now is within the SBC. Like uh, I feel for man, I, I got my start in the SBC. Um, I, I love all the people that I was involved with there, but it is a mess right now. Um, so, so you're lacking a, a, or you have the these poli- a lot of these politics that are coming into the church, and it's influencing how they in- interpret things. They have different sets of beliefs, and it just has people rub up against one another where they're unable to cooperate. So, um, I just found those two articles to really synthesize really well. Mm. Um, what do you think? I agree. Yeah, no, um, I appreciate Matt. You know, just you know, just laying it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I, you, you made, I think, I don't know if you intentionally um, said it this way, but it made me chuckle because you're, you're right, whether you realize how right you are, but a, you said lacking a willingness mm-hmm. to work, to, you know, be missional together or have the same whatever. I find oftentimes that people say, yeah, we just can't. Um, get together on things, whether it's leadership development or missions or blah, 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 blah. But, you know, more and more I'm coming down to it. We're so bifurcated that there's not, I don't even think, I think we feign a willingness. I don't, I don't think it's, it's an issue of we can't. In all reality, I think we're so um, independent that we don't even want to. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think you're, you know, you're speaking in broad strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously there's pockets of it, right? Like right. there's pockets of it within our denomination. Right. Um, I mean, there's the folks that have Christian voices that we're a part of. I mean, there obviously there's a sense there of people that want to work together mm-hmm. and whether or not you realize it, uh, Hey, I'll, I'll just put a shout out. Tom will really like this. Um, Hey, if you're interested in writing for Advent Christian voices, message the page. We're always looking for more authors. Our only, um, criteria uh, one, we want to make sure it's well-written. So, so, and that's just like, Tom does that as the general editor. He wants to make sure people, you know, if you're writing at a fourth grade level, he doesn't want to make you look bad. You know what I mean? So like, so he wants to make sure you're, you're writing at a level that people understand and it's coherent. Um, but, uh, aside from that, as long as you ascribe to the declaration of principles and the statement of faith. Um, but even then we make exceptions in certain cases. So, um, you can always and, write to Tom and even the well-written thing is very, he's very gracious. Cause they even let me write things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and me so. too. Uh, so, and, and that's just, that's really just to protect the author, right? Like, you know, you just don't want them. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so we have it there. We have the restoration network that's mainly in new England, but we've tried to start like a little, little restoration network down here in the Southeast. Um, where you have, it's mostly younger folks, not by design, but by accident who are, 
um, trying to come together and see how they can, how we can work for uh, restoration and renewal in our denomination and see us get back to uh, planting churches and, and more missional unity and, and effectiveness, I think. Um, and, and there are some other things going on as well. So, you know, it's not that it's not happening. It's that there are just some, there are just some people who are, who are naysayers and you right. just got to deal with it. So, yeah. um, should we reveal our numbers? Sure. I'll let you go okay. first. Uh, can I reveal Luke's? No one said Luke. No. And I think they're afraid because I think we all know, but we feel bad for him. we should like we want you to know if you're listening to uh, for those who are under the sound of my voice um understand this our group text uh the three of us the three amigos uh i would say probably 67 percent of it is you and i giving luke a hard time right we and it's all out of love it really yeah. is. It's, it's honestly, we like to give him a hard time. And the other 33% is just calling Luke to repentance. It's true. It's a, it's a, it's a hard long road, but I think we're making progress every so often. <laughs> every once in a while, we just got to get him away from Doug Wills. <clears throat> so, um, so we'll let Luke reveal what number he is next time he's on the show. So Mike, what number are you? And tell me if you think it was accurate. The test said I was a number three. Okay. And largely I find it to be very accurate. However, I think, you know, Bickford was intuitive and I do find um, that I, I, I identify a bit more than, than I realize with the twos. So I would say I can edge towards the two and a half, you know, maybe two and three quarters, mm-hmm. um, but more increasingly, um, increasingly, I find myself in the three camp and mostly, uh, mostly I would say due to the blindness we have towards the radical right and political influence that has been willingly now, but unintentionally in the past received without criticism. Mm-hmm. And, and I just see it, but at the same time, I'm a three and not a four, because I'm also I, I'm not so frustrated by it that I'm that I'm willing to or want to really hammer people about it just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not listen to anything you just said uh, because I was people were saying that we're frozen. I got a message from Bickford saying that that something was going on, like it said that we're paused. So uh, if I didn't hear it, um, we could have been paused here for a moment. So do you just kind of briefly say what you just said all over again? <laughs> Please. Uh, Gracious Mike I'm Alex. A, I'm a three, almost a two. So maybe two three quarters. Mm-hmm. And most of it revolves around the either unintentional or I would say somewhat intentional today, res- uh, uncritical reception of conservative politics in the church, but I'm not a four because I'm not at the point of frustration where I'm willing to hammer people about it. Mm-hmm. I'm willing, I'm still willing to show a lot of long suffering grace. Um, but does that, does that assume that you could come to a place where you no longer, or you're no longer going to be long suffering? You're going to bounce. You're going to leave us and go. No, uh, no, 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 the, no, uh, the, no, <clears throat> there's no ch- no chance I'll become like mainline or orthodox or anything like that or withdraw from the church 
by any, especially the gathered church, no chance of that mm. ever happening. Uh, outside of full apostasy, which I don't see that happening anytime either. But um, I could see myself having to, um, depending on the type of church you're in, having to minister in a different context. Mm-hmm. I can see that happening. Yeah, um, I actually had I had a friend um, who's who just left the PCA church. Uh, that's Presbyterian Church in America. Last night, he and I were talking. He's on my hockey team, and he was actually going through the ordination process uh, through the PCA. He's or, he's an ordained Southern Baptist pastor. Came to uh, Pado baptism, so he just had to go PCA. And um, he'd been in the church for like maybe a year, um, a little bit before COVID, I think. He was made an elder of the church and then saw that they were going in a direction that was more towards um, like, a, I don't know, just, just allowing some more worldly influences within the church and, and um, his presbytery, which oversees the churches was not supportive of his concerns that he raised within the church to leadership and then to them. Um, so he's kind of now looking for a new home. He's so he's not at a four, but he's, he's like, yeah, I just can't deal with this. Like I just can't. Yeah. So, and, and just in case anybody in my church watches this and is concerned, I don't find myself anywhere near <laughs> needing to minister. elsewhere over this type of stuff. I was just saying, you know, down the road, I mean, if the church, if blessed hope were to be more of a two or, or a one in general, then it would be very difficult for us to see eye to eye, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, two close to one. I think twos and threes could potentially work well together, Mm -hmm. but I think there's enough of a gap between one and three, but anyway, so, Oh, great one. Sir. Is there a question there? Your turn. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so I, uh, I was also given the number three. So um, I found it to be fairly accurate. Um, and I've moved, like I would say that I've probably gone between one, two and three over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've seen movement, like the more I've learned, the more I've studied scripture, the more I've prayed about certain things, the more, um, I'll say this, I'm trying to practice listening more, um, and not just listening to respond, but listening to really try to understand. Mm-hmm. And as I've done that, um, I've seen a lot of flaws in, in the first category, spent some time in the second category in the last few years where I thought that, you know, at least um, I kind of thought, Hey, yeah, I know there are issues on the political right and, and even um, the religious right. Like, and, and when I say like the religious radical, right. Even though I saw issues there, I thought those issues were less than the issues on the, the political left or radical left. And, and now I'm at a place where I think, um, both have, uh, like, I don't think that the right is the lesser of two evils. I actually think, like, hey, here's two significant issues that are encroaching upon the church, and I find myself kind of caught in the middle. So, so you know, that's a concern for me. So I think that's that's pretty accurate as to where I'm at, and that's really what they try to depict in this neo-evangelical category. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we'll tell you this, Luke is not a three, apparently. And he doesn't even want to be a three. No, no, 
He does not at all. Nope. So, yeah, man. So hopefully, I mean, ho- hopefully, he- here's the thing, right? So even even if someone's in the one to four category, I mean, we're still united by Christ, right? Uh, assuming assuming their belief. Um, uh, so so we still have this greater. We still have this unity that's through Christ that we ha- still have the same Holy Spirit who indwells us. Um. So that doesn't mean that we can cast one another side or cast aspersions on one another. But what I think it does mean is that um, we shouldn't set aside maybe some of our own. Uh, I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like some people in these categories are just quick to do ad hominem attacks and yeah. aren't willing to engage with some of the issues. So I think that we need to set those things aside and, and see if we can work together by coming to to a more core understanding of, of the issues that plague us moving forward. Right. And, and to be quite honest, you know, I, I get the sense, of, you know, my biggest theme for the past year with COVID and everything is just caving into fear or personal attack. And what happens is oftentimes we're quick to defend our position because of what the potential fallout or what it could possibly mean if we change our mind or admit that we may have thought about things improperly, we begin to think, oh, there's some deficiency in me, or you think I'm an idiot because of this, that, and the other thing. And we, we, we kind of really overly personalize it. And I know I do that in my own life, why I'm like, when I hear a different vein of thought, I'm like, that can't be right because I've put a lot of heart and thought into (laughs) what I believe. So what are they saying about all that time and energy and thought that I put into what I believe about something? Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a lot of defensiveness when it comes to that, um, whether it's acknowledged or not. And so um, that's where I see a lot of the, the um, like heels being dug in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so maybe us opening the hand hands up and say, all right, let's let's sit down, let's break bread, let's have a conversation, um, and, and let's think about these things more critically, so that we can ultimately glorify the Lord, um, not only in our unity, in our worship of Him, but also in in our mission. And we might not agree on what our mission is, and if that's the case, that's where I think we have to, you know. Split, you know, we have to go different paths. You know, if I'm going to be working toward in this direction and you think we need to go that direction um, and we can't, we can't agree on what we're supposed to be doing, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do anything. So how much time do you fight about what, what the thing is that you're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm getting to the point where just personally, it's like, man, I just don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, you know, um, but you know, it's like you, you look upon the landscape of, of the church now and it's like, there, there is, I don't see anybody doing well, (laughs) you know, like, like everybody's played with issues right now. Um, there is no greener pasture. So I think you just got to put the manure down and hope that you can make your own pasture better. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cool. Well, Mike, I think I think that brings us to a close for today. Yeah, uh, we exhausted that puppy. Well done. 
I think we did. Because <clears throat> I had nothing else to talk about. <laughs> well, you, you never shared with you never shared with us how your week has been. I waxed poetic about my brown tail moth and digestive issues, and you uh, you did talk about getting owned on the on the hockey rink. A bit, yeah. But. Yeah, I got owned. I got another game tonight, so maybe I can redeem myself. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I mean weeks weeks going well, you know, just the normal the normal stuff with pastoral ministry, man. It's the grind. <laughs> uh but it's good, man. Like I recently yeah. got some really encouraging uh I shared this with you and Luke. I got some encouraging feedback from from some folks who uh are coming to the church and and they they're leaving a mega church in the, in the area and we're like yeah we didn't realize how starved we were for the word of god until we came here to visit um and they came just because it was graduation sunday and and they had a they have they had a loved one that was graduating so they came they heard uh they heard us preach and they're like shoot you preach the bible <laughs> and and it and I and I had recently had someone be like, "Yeah, I'm not so down with expository preaching," and and they decided to leave the church. So to have some of that feedback was really encouraging to me, and it, and it helps me realize, "Hey, we're doing the right thing, man. Preach the word mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. season, out of season. Uh, preach it, whether or not um, people want to hear it or not. Because my conviction is, listen, if you don't want to hear the word, I'm probably not the guy for you." Cause that's mm-hmm. what we do. We we'll preach the word. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, good on you. I'm glad you're being encouraged. Thanks, man. Are you being encouraged? In some ways? Yes. In other that ways, is it's not, that is, that is not good. Listen, if you go to <laughs> blessed hype church in Waterville, <laughs> Main. Listen, um, I'm an I'm a melancholy person in general, so don't take me too seriously. Which, if you sit under the blessed teaching of the pastor of Blessed Hype, which is Blessed Mike, <laughs> oh, <gosh>. then, <laughs> then you need to shoot this man some encouragement because he, he is a downtrodden individual. He needs you to tell him how the word of God priest is changing your life and in your community so that he may rejoice in the work that God has called him to. Again, I say rejoice. Are you done? No, man. I just want to encourage you, man. I just want well, to thank you. I appreciate you. that. I, I appreciate try to be that. a bucket filler, man, not a bucket kicker. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. I, uh, I haven't listened to any of your sermons recently, except for the one like two or three weeks ago, where you pretty much, uh, you gave it to the church, man. <laughs> yeah, that was I all listened. extemporaneous as well. I don't know where that came from. He's like, some of y'all don't want to hear it. Some of y'all, <laughs> this is gonna hurt your feelings. Some of y'all not gonna like me, but this is the word of God. Ooh. Mm. Amen and hallelujah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Who do you do you listen to any preachers, man? Not lately. Um, just been bogged down with prepping for different things in the church. So I haven't really and I can't work on something that I'm trying to also pay attention to. So um yeah. You know what I have been encouraged by lately, though? Every so often I do have to get in the car and travel. Uh, uh, Jared Wilson and Ronnie Martin have this Art of Pastoring podcast. 
Oh, I listened to the other one they do. Okay. Uh, well, the, oh. the yeah, the different one. The, there's one that Ronnie Martin's on called the Happy Rant. Oh, I, it's a different one. I, I oh, have okay. listened to the Happy Rant off and on. Okay, but yeah. no, I've been. I, really... Who's the dude that always calls him Babe? Ronnie Martin. I yeah, I can't. I can't stand that man, dude. Like every time, every time he's like, he goes, "Pipes, what's up, babe?" I'm like, because because John Piper, some Barnabas, is on the podcast. Like, <laughs> like, and, and who am I, man? Like I use terms that probably people cringe when I say that's fine. Yeah. But yeah, when he starts calling, "Hey, babe, babe, tell me," it just it, it just. It's because, have you ever seen the movie Swingers back in in the '90s with? I can't remember who they are. Um, so for the church, thank you, Erica. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the one but, I, I listen to. Yeah, but the art of pastoring. What I what I've realized is um, many of the internal battles and struggles are almost universal for pastors. Shades mm -hmm. difference, but in reality, we're all having the same internal struggles and conversations with ourselves. But as I have found recently, sometimes in our greatest moments of of challenge or of difficulty, the Lord brings somebody It could, or, mm -hmm. or something. It could be the word. It could be like a word in the Bible. It could be, um, it could be a prayer. It, it could just be a really rich time of prayer, or it could be an, a, a brother or sister in Christ who just is a great encouragement. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's how the, the Lord works, man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I hope, uh, Hey, listen again, if you are a member of blessed hype, and you sit under the blessed teachings of blessed Mike. Give this man some encouragement. I'm talking to you, Erica. Oh, no. She's my biggest champion. That's why I can't trust her. She's biased. She has, uh, to, live with, she has to live with me. I just want you to know, so, we, so we've so we met now uh, Luke and Lindsay in person. I already met Luke, but Robin mm -hmm. finally met Luke. And then, I met, and then we all met Lindsay. So we haven't met Erica yet. Um, no. Although I've met Erica. And um, I will right, say yeah. this, that I will say every one to two weeks, Robin makes a reference to um, net, Netflix, your Netflix and chill faux pas. Erica, you're in our thoughts and prayers. <laughs> this, this past Sunday, um, I, I, in my sermon, I was talking about what does it mean to, uh, to obey Jesus from the Gospel of John? And I said, this is, I said, if we start at John one, I'm not going to hit them all, but I'm just going to give you a sampling of the ways to obey Jesus and, you know, go through abide, take up your mat and walk, all, all these things. And I, but before I got to listing off things, I was like, so this is the poo poo platter of how to obey, <laughs> obey Jesus from the gospel of John. <laughs> and I, I audibly, I audibly heard my eight year old son giggle. <laughs> <laughs> and I even stopped in the moment and I'm like, did I hear a giggle? And Erica nods over and my son pops his head up and I'm like, got him. <laughs> gotcha, buddy. So <laughs> it is. Why do they call it a poo poo platter, man? I have no idea. Cause that's been funny since I heard it when I was about eight years old. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's it, that joke's never going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have said like smorgasbord. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a sampler. <laughs> Here's a sampler. It's the poo -poo -poo. 
yeah. yeah no that's the yeah mm. I, I i don't know mm. well let me take so, back all those nice things i said about your preaching well i'm just i'm just gonna say blessed hope has been incur incur <sighs> amazingly patient with me yeah uh, because there's a lot of a lot of churches that would not have put up with my dry sarcastic personality mm -hmm. um, it, it's <laughs> for sure it, man Pommy, you're right it's just when the pastor has that type of humor <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's interesting man because i think uh i think we've talked about this before uh people our age have a have a more irreverent sense of humor Mm -hmm. Um, and in a more irreverent way of speaking and, and, and just everything screams irreverence, uh, I think. So I wonder how that affects some of our, of our older congregations, if they were to get someone who like yourself or me, who has this kind of irreverent personality, um, not a lack of reverence for God, uh, mm -hmm. because I think you and I both have Luke included, have a high reverence for the Lord. Um, but in all other aspects of our lives, we're kind of jokesters where, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, try to don't take many situations as serious as many other people do, because mm -hmm. at least for me, uh, I always tell people, Hey, if you're not getting shot at, it's not as big of a deal as, you know, you're not getting shot at. It's not mm -hmm. life or death, but mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's just different. It's just, I just see a big difference generationally with that. Yeah, I agree. I see it too. So. Well, all right, my friend. I think we've tried to land that plane many times and we do touch and goes. It's my specialty. <laughs> you should listen to one of my sermons. Uh, all right. God bless you guys. It is a pleasure. Um, we mean this from the bottom of our hearts. We love you and we will see you next week. Take care. Except for Mike, he doesn't mean it.